Welcome to Striving for Revival with Justin Cooper, Assistant Pastor at North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. This broadcast will challenge and encourage God's people to seek revival. We pray you'll be blessed as you listen to Striving for Revival. Welcome to the Striving for Revival radio broadcast. This is Pastor Justin Cooper coming to you today from the KNVBC studio at the North Valley Baptist Church here in Santa Clara, California. My, what a privilege it is to have you join me for the broadcast today, and what a pleasure is mine. It's an honor to take the Word of God, the King James Bible, and to share with you some eternal truth. I'm praying today that God will take the Word of God and He'll speak to your heart in a very personal, very uh, particular, and a very powerful kind of a way. And by the way, He will. Every time the Word of God is open, God does wonderful things. And the Word of God is quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, it's a balm, it is a, uh, it is a uh, light, it's so many other things. And I tell you, the need for your life, the answer is found here in the Word of God. We've been studying together in the book of First Peter. Now, First Peter is what we call a general epistle. Just like we found in James, so Peter is writing not to a particular person, not to a specified uh, church, but he's rather writing to a group of people that he refers to as strangers in five particular areas. And the Bible mentions those in chapter number one. I'll turn back and show you here. It says Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And all of these areas, these regions would make up what we call uh, Turkey in our modern day. So he is writing to these people scattered throughout these areas in this general letter. Now, the theme of First Peter is the sufferings of Christ. In the beginning of the first chapter, at the outset, the first 12 verses, Peter deals with different doctrinal things, such as salvation, sanctification, election, and so forth. Now, verse 13 and following, he transitions into what I call some imperatives for the Christian life. These are not simple suggestions, but rather these are expectations and commands for the Christian if we're going to live a victorious Christian life. And I know myself, and I believe I I know you listening, you want to live a victorious Christian life, as do I. I don't want to just sing I'm on the winning side. I want to live on that winning side. And if I'm going to do that, I have to apply these imperatives. Now, the first we mentioned in verse 13 was, gird up the loins of your mind. What that means is, prepare your mind, ready your mind, control your mind, girding up the loins. That would give that uh, individual in Peter's day the, uh, the, the idea of preparing for a work, preparing for a war, to battle, to build, whatever it might be. They would gird up the loins of their tunic, the loins of their robes so that they could work. And so the Bible says, prepare your mind, get it ready for a work, get your mind ready for war, get your mind ready to build, to battle, to serve the Lord in these last days gird it up. I tell you, most Christians lose the battle of their testimony because they can't control the mind. They lose the battle in the mind. The battlefield is not the world for the Christian most often. It's the mind. It's themselves. I'm my own worst enemy, and so are you. And we've got to get to the place where we don't allow our mind to govern us, but we allow our uh, new man, the spirit man, to govern the mind. To be carnally minded is death. 
And uh, we don't want that. We don't want to live that kind of way. So that's an imperative. Gird up the loins of your mind. And then he adds to that, be sober. That means have some level-headed thinking. Have some discernment. Uh, be uh, guided uh, by principle. Be sober. All right, verse 14. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. So here's the next statement. Don't be like you used to be. Don't live your life like you're lost now that you're saved. You ought not wear the same thing. You ought not say the same thing. You ought not do the same thing. You ought not go to the same place. You might have to have new relationships and sever some old. But don't fashion your new life in Christ after your old life void of Christ. We ought to have a distinct life, a different life, a life that reflects that divine transaction that's happened within us when we got born again and left darkness and met the light of the world. We traded out death for life, and now we're a child of God an ambassador for Christ, and we ought to represent him in a good fashion. It's amazing to me, the Christians that'll buck and bow up and fight over issues like this. Well, I don't believe it matters. Now, God looks on the heart. Well, that's true. God looks on the heart, but the world looks on the outside. And there ought to be something good enough on the inside that it shows up on the out. And I believe that we ought to live a life that lets our light so shine before men that they might glorify our father see our good works etc etc verse 15 we find a new imperative i want us to see today the bible says but as he which hath called you is holy so be ye holy in all manner of conversation because it's written here it is be ye holy for i am holy now, I believe that this dovetails perfectly with verse 14, not fashioning ourselves according to our former lusts. And now here's our command. We are to be holy. Why? Because God is holy. And where are we supposed to be holy, Brother Cooper? Just in the church? No. Just on Easter and Christmas? No. Just when the preacher's watching? No. Just when people might uh, see? No. It says, be holy in all manner of conversation. We have been called as people who've been born again to a holy life. Now we have a holy Bible. We're indwelled by a holy spirit. We serve a holy God. We have a holy savior. We're going to a holy place called heaven. And God expects you and I as citizens of that place, born again by that spirit, begotten again to a lively hope. We are to live a holy life in this hellbound world. In first Peter chapter two, Verse 9, the Bible says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So the most basic attribute of God is holiness. We could take our Bible, go to the Old Testament, Isaiah 6, 3. We could go to the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 4, verse number 8. It talks about the fact that our God is a holy, holy, holy God. Holiness means this, the total absence of sin, the total absence of impurity. So God is absolute and infinitely holy. There is no sin in God. There is no... Uh, um, uh, there is no... Uh, um, impurity in God. There is no tarnish in God. There's no anything in God whatsoever. Even the slightest little hint of any kind of iniquity, 
God is perfectly pure through and through. He's completely holy, absolutely righteous. And though we'll never be absolutely holy in our life here on earth, the command nevertheless is to strive for that kind of holiness. The word that we have here, the phrase manner of conversation, we're talking about our manner of life. The way we conduct ourselves, the way we behave, uh, our deportment, if you will, our disposition, how we live ought to absolutely reflect the holiness of God. Don't buy into this modern Christianity that would have the Christian okay with drinking wine, sipping beer, uh, cussing like a sailor, going to the R-rated movie, go on down the list. That is not Bible Christianity. That is, that is compromise at its finest. That is some, some, maybe they're saved, maybe they're not, but some supposedly saved person who is trying to give license to their flesh and still make themselves feel good because they say, well, I've got a WWJD bracelet on my wrist. I'm just as holy as you are. No, the Bible tells us and commands us and teaches us and gives us example upon example that you and I as Christians are to be distinct and different and to come out from among this world and to be separate. That is not a cuss word. That is a Bible word. That is a Christian word, separation from this old wicked world. This world is dark. This world is sinful. This world is black. This world is wicked. And God doesn't expect you and I to be anything like it. We're a chosen generation. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're a peculiar. That means we stand out. We're different. We're a peculiar people. It's written, be holy, Leviticus eleven forty four. for I am holy. Holiness is the root characteristic of our God. It flows from the fact God is righteous, God is just. Now, the means to holiness is this. Number one, righteous living. Live right. How do I live a righteous life? Live according to the Bible. Let the Holy Spirit of God fill you. Follow the Bible precepts. Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Follow the law of the Lord. Verse number two, or rather number two, the, <clears throat> the means of holiness is righteous living, but secondly, separation from this world. I mentioned a minute ago, a major avenue to holiness, which is our ultimate goal, is being different from this world. Shallow are the critics who decry separation and say it's legalism. That is not true. It's the major means to personal holiness. And I love God. I don't do it because I have to. I don't do it because God's over me getting ready to strike me with a lightning bolt. I love him because he first loved me. And I tell you, I don't want to be anything like anything that God doesn't love or God isn't pleased with or that does not love my God. I want to be all things and always the most, the best I can pleasing to him. I want to challenge you. This is imperative. Be holy for God is holy. Until next time, pray for revival. Thank you for joining us today for Striving for Revival with Justin Cooper, assistant pastor at North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. Listen at this time every weekday as we strive for revival.